0: That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: This episode is brought to you by Denone North America, the world's largest B Corp, committed to doing all kinds of better for people and the planet. Learn more at com.
2: This week on Meet and 3, we're talking about comfort food as we explore its history, meaning, and different interpretations from around the world. Donburi is just a simple, casual dish, but it's packed with the history. Somebody might have their comfort food be something that they remember eating at their friend's house, but they would never have at their own home. Consuming foods that were eaten then can bring back some of those feelings from, from those times. It's about
1: creating these little breaks and moments
2: during the day where you kind of feel present. Tune in to Meet and Three HRN's weekly food news roundup wherever you listen to podcasts.
1: Well, hello. Welcome to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer, and it is Wednesday, November 11th, 2020. This is the 271st episode of this series, which is dedicated to behind-the-scenes talent in the hospitality industry. Today, my guest is an award-winning chef, TV personality, and cookbook author based in Nashville, and I will introduce her fully in a moment. First, as I do on every show, I will start out with my PR tip, And then later, we will have my speed round game, industry news discussion, solo dining experience, and the final question. As the founder of Bayer Public Relations, I'm going to tip the show off with my PR tip of the week. So today's tip is to believe in the mantra, nothing ventured, nothing gained, as my guest today can attest to. Let's not be afraid to take risks and attempt new things. Understanding that the rewards from our efforts will be worth it. Without trying, we simply can't achieve great results and reach new plateaus. So let's remember to always get in the game and go for it. That's my tip today. Now I'm thrilled to have my guest joining me. It is Manit Chahan. She is a James Beard award-winning chef, television personality, author, and the founding partner and president of Morph Hospitality Group in Nashville which includes Chahan Ale and Masala House, Tansuo, The Mockingbird, and Chattable. Manit is a judge on Food Network's Chopped, and she has a new cookbook out called Chat, Recipes from the Kitchens, Markets, and Railways of India, which is co-written with Jody Eddy. So hi, Manit. Welcome to the show. Sherry, thank you so much. It's so awesome. Thank you so much for inviting me. Well, I've, I, you know, you've been on my mind as someone I, I wanted to have them on the show for so long, and I'm glad it's finally happening. Because <laughs> um, I know, and you're a busy lady, so, so are um, you.
2: I think, well. I think, I think that way, both of us stay out of trouble.
1: <laughs> yes, I, 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 I assume so too. Um, but yes, thank you for joining me and making the time, and I. So excited to just to hear about everything. I mean, I, this is going to be one of those shows where I wish I had a four hour show. I'm sure, <laughs> <laughs> but we'll see what we can get what we can get to. So um, or get through. But I always like to start with my guests and find out a little bit about their background and how they got into the industry. So, do you want to start uh, with uh, just taking us back to your childhood in India and how you uh, what inspired you to become a chef?
2: Oh, my God, absolutely. Um, it's it's a very simple answer. Eating good food inspired me to be a chef. I grew up in this really small town in India where, um, you know, there were people from all over India. My dad was an engineer, so there were people from all over India who were our neighbors. And the interesting part is that each and every region in India has a very distinct cuisine of its own. So, um Uh, You know, like uh, we I grew up in a, uh, a predominantly Punjabi household, so the food that was cooked in my household was completely different from our neighbors who were South Indian so i would finish dinner at home and then go over to my neighbors houses and tell them that my parents hadn't fed me and literally sit with the aunties in their kitchen and see them cook with different ingredients and different um you know uh, uh, techniques which weren't which i didn't see in my house and very soon i realized that i could have a conversation with anybody just around food. And that's literally how this this, you know, lifelong love with food really started. So I started off, you know, um, just uh, going to my uncle and auntie's places, cooking over there. And then when my older sister went to school, I would cook and take food for her. And soon I realized I was the most popular kid on campus. And I didn't even go to school there. So that was my aha moment. I was like, okay, this is something that I love. And people love me for it. So why don't I take this on as a career? And uh, that was it. My parents were very supportive. They said, do whatever you want. Just make sure that you're the best at it. And um, that's what I did. Went to the best hotel administration school in India. Over there, they told me, you know, my chef instructor told me that CIA was the best institute to go to. So I applied to the CIA. I went to the CIA. And yeah, that's how like the official culinary journey started. Amazing. So after you graduated
1: from the CIA, which I think everyone listening will know that's the Culinary Institute of America in Hyde Park. So what, what did you do after? Did you uh, Where did you start working? Um, were you in New York? Or I know there's a part of your career where you were in Chicago.
2: So uh, so it was really interesting because I graduated on top of my, you know, like uh, I, I got all the awards, the highest GPA, like, you know, graduated flying high. So I, you know, in my mind, I'm like, I went to the best culinary institute in the world. The world is now mine to own, right? And right. then reality set in because I had come on a student visa and nobody wanted to, um, touch me with a barge pole, just because in this industry, sponsorship of paperwork is really not as popular. So even though I got job offers from, you know, the places that I really wanted to work at, as soon as I started talking about paperwork, you know, they wouldn't, they were like, okay, we'll call you, you don't call us, which I think was great for me because it gave me a dose of reality. And also at that time, my uncle and aunt uh, close to Philadelphia were opening a new restaurant. So they were like, if you want to come over here and work, and that was an Indian restaurant. And the ironic part is like, I had come from India and I didn't want to do Indian food because that's something I grew up with. I wanted to do pastries and baking. And because of the circumstances, I like, I took over, um, you know, Uh, managing uh, and, uh, you know, the kitchen at the restaurant. And it was incredible because I got to see Indian food in America through the audience who came over there. And it was such an incredible experience, because you know a lot of people thought Indian food, eight ninety five all you can eat buffet." and I'm like, "No, that's not what Indian food is about. I grew up on three fresh meals, seasonal. everybody talks about farmers' markets, but those were the only kind of markets that I grew up on. Um, you talk about seasonal food. I mean, carrots were not available were available only in December. And that's the only time we would enjoy it. So uh, it was really interesting that it opened my eyes to, uh, you know, the perception of Indian food and how we could, uh, you know, grow into... Um, into something which is exciting and show people the true beauty of Indian food. So that's where, you know, this path started. And uh, I worked there for four years. Then I went to Chicago, then to New York. And then um, in New York was when, you know, I got the opportunity to be on uh, uh, Iron Chef, Next Iron Chef, Chopped. Uh, and then um, off to Nashville to open my first r- first restaurant and then followed by three more
1: It's incredible um so uh, which direction to go here let's talk about <laughs> let's talk about what brought you down to Nashville because um I mean had you you know you've now created a, a restaurant let's say a little empire down there I was checking out all of your restaurants and I also Realized I was in Nashville in 2013 and your first place opened in 2014, which is why I'm due for
2: another trip down there. <laughs> yes, you are. And it's, I mean, uh, and we are due to meet up again. It's been too long. Yes. Yes.
1: So, so you opened your first place was Chahan Ale and Masala House. And, and like what, I mean, how, how, I mean, how did how did it go launching, starting your Mm -hmm. own restaurant group and and then growing it?
2: So it's really interesting. Um, The uh, idea was. To be based out of New York and to open the restaurant in Nashville, I mean, Chopped had really taken off. Uh, My daughter had just been born, and I was like, I want to, you know, go down more of the entrepreneurial route. And, um, you know, uh, with Chopped going off, I was getting calls from all over uh, the country. Would you like to open something in Seattle, in San Francisco? So uh, while we were getting all of these calls, like, you know, the obvious, places where you would think of opening, you know, a restaurant. And in between, we get a call uh, of opening something in Nashville. And both Vivek, uh, my husband and my business partner, we looked at each other and we are like, uh, who the beep goes to Nashville? Because we had never been here. We didn't know what it was all about. So we um, but we are the kind of people who explore each and every opportunity so we came down over here and just fell in love fell in love with uh, the city the soul of the city um, but most importantly we fell in love with the opportunity that the city offered to us it it was a, a you know a growing, young hip city with people from all over the world and there was nothing like what we were planning to do so we decided that you know we'll open my first restaurant over there and we'll be based out of New York and we'll commute. Well it's the south the project which was supposed to take six months took around a year and a half and along the way we found out we were expecting baby number two Uh So, um, the plan was to open the restaurant on November 18th, 2014, and then, uh, you know, a couple of months and then head back to New York to give birth to the baby. Best laid plans, um, we were doing the media dinner on November 17th when my contraction started. Uh, our son was born on the morning of November 18th, and we opened the restaurant on the evening of November 18th. He was a preemie born on, t- you know, at 26 <laughs> weeks, a two and a half pounder, like lighter than a gallon of milk. And uh, he was in the NICU for three months. And we were like, if you are so adamant in being a Nashvilleian, Who are we to stop it? So we went back to New York, wrapped up everything, moved to Nashville. And then Vivek and I, we are the kind of people who are like, okay, if this is the card which has been dealt to us, we are going to make the best of it. So that's what we did. We were like, we kept on figuring out what opportunities were out there. What were the gaps in the Nashville culinary tapestry? And slowly, slowly, we started filling those gaps.
1: Yeah. So, do you want to talk a little bit about about your different concepts? Because it's you you do have you are cooking Indian food, but you have a a, a big variety also of what you're doing.
2: Absolutely. So uh, the original concept is uh, Chohan Ail Masala House, which is it's really fun. Uh, we do. Um, Uh, Indian food with a fun southern flair, you know, some alehouse foods. Uh, For example, think of a chicken tikka masala poutine or, uh, you know, um, chicken, I mean, uh, keema nachos. So really fun, not uh, very, um, like very fun dishes which are very approachable and easy for people to understand. And then um, uh, after that, uh, we, the second restaurant to, uh, that we opened was Tan So. So literally, we looked around in Nashville and saw that there really was a space to create a fun Chinese restaurant because uh, people were going to chain restaurants, which which are good in their own place, um, but uh, they were looking for something which was more, you know, regional Chinese. So we opened Tanso, which uh, is is beautiful. I mean, it's a gorgeous space. I can't wait for you to come for me to show you around the spots. And then we opened uh, Mockingbird. Now Mockingbird, um, is it's really fun because that whole idea came about uh, by our, uh, you know, partners. Uh, Mikey and Brian who were uh, in Chicago we used to work in Chicago together and then you know I left and they started doing all of these amazing pop-ups and um, Brian was competing on one episode of Chopped and I'm like you know after he won we were out and I'm like why don't you open something of your own they're like well if anybody opens it for us we'll be there so I'm like okay Come over to Nashville, and we'll do it. So so that's how that came about. And then a really cool space opened up in West Nashville. um, And we looked at it, and we were like, we can do Indian street food, which is charitable, which we opened uh, two years. It's going to be two years in November. Uh, which is right now. So, yeah, those are the concepts. And then um, other than that, we also have um, three breweries. We have a big brew park in uh, south of Nashville, which is called Hop Springs. It's on around 83 acres of land. And it's really fun because... we have, you know, um, when we were thinking of pairing beverages with Indian food, the first thing everybody thinks is, let's pair it with something really, really sweet, like, you know, a Riesling or a Gewürztraminer. And I'm like, no, food, I mean, uh, beverage pairing is all about enjoying the wonderful um uh, you know accentuating the spices it's not about drowning it so that's pretty much how we got um we got started we're like why don't we brew beers with spices in it. So our craft beer uh, uh, beer branch is called Mantra. We've got beers like Saffron Cardamom IPA or Chai Porter. And our Saffron Cardamom IPA actually was named by Condé Nast a couple of years back as one of the seven best beers worldwide, which was incredible. And then we, um, uh, we've we got um, Steel Barrel, which is the everyday drinking beer, and then the humorous project which is a heavily IPA based uh beer so yeah that's that's what it that's what we're doing keeping busy it's
1: it's amazing it's amazing you have a lot going on and I do want I can't wait to get back down there and I was also when I was looking through your menus earlier I was I was hoping you would open up your restaurants in New York too so I could have uh be very accessible'd oh be very accessible to me <laughs> I,
2: yeah, you know what I think it's so interesting when I moved out of New York I was like ah should I be shouldn't I be but then you know what the the um, it New York is a very it's a very different market when you go to smaller markets you realize how um, how deprived those markets are of um, of different Mm -hmm. cuisines and in terms of success and profitability it makes more sense going into you know the second tier markets yeah and i mean it in the nicest way possible like as a business person that makes more sense so i don't think i'll ever like come back and open a place in in new york
1: yeah, no, I, I get it, I, it does make sense. And so what's happening now with your restaurants with COVID and the pandemic? Did you, did, I mean, what were you shut down? Are you open now? Are you doing, you know, how have things changed?
2: So we were shut down. We were shut down for three months. It started in April. Uh, during the three months, what we did was the first couple of weeks, I mean, we had to lay everybody off to just make sure that, you know, they were getting the unemployment, um, whatever benefits which were being offered. Um, and after around two weeks, uh, and those two weeks, we also made sure that we were getting in touch with all our local vendors to make sure we get, um, you know, we, we get food products, etc., that we can uh, share along with all the hospitality workers. So that, because, you know, there's nothing more frustrating than Finding out that people who work in the food industry are going hungry, right? And that was unacceptable to us. So we worked a couple of months to make sure uh, make sure that you know people were getting food, etc. That being said, uh, we um, we started opening for takeouts, curbside pickups. Um, I think around two or three weeks after we. Week completely closed and that also we started really slowly we started with one restaurant uh, uh, you know uh, mm-hmm. per day so you know there used to be one day was mockingbird one day was tanso one day was chohan one day was chatable so that's how we went about doing it and that it just made sure that we had a tighter control on our inventory our prep and also we had a skeletal crew it was all of us you know rolled our rolled our sleeves and we were working
1: Yeah. No. I mean, it's uh, it's yeah. It's affected. It's affected everyone, and everyone has has. I mean, like you know, has had to pivot through this. But it sounds like you're you're doing well with the transition. Or it's been it's been okay.
2: Yeah, it's been okay. We are we are now open to seventy five percent capacity. So. it is, we are making the best of the situation because it is what it is, right? I mean, it's it's nothing that, I mean, this is so out of our control that the only thing that we can do is, you know, uh, mitigate our losses and just make, you know, make the best of whatever that has been served to us. And I think we are doing a fairly decent job with that while making sure that slowly, slowly we start getting our team members back.
1: Right. Yeah. No, it sounds like you are. And I, I, my, I mean, my heart goes out to you and all chefs and restaurateurs for this, what this period has been like. It's been, it's been very trying. Um, so, and you also have a new book that came out during this time period, too, which I have here. And it's so beautiful. And I, I love it so much. Chat. Uh, with Jody Eddy. So let's, let's talk about the book. Uh, when, when did you start working on this and, and inspire the idea to do, to do a book on these recipes from, from
2: the kitchens, markets, and railways of India? So Shari, believe it or not, the first time that Jody and I spoke about this book was nine years ago. Um, okay. Jody and I we had met for yeah. the first time and we were just sitting she had come home my daughter was still like you know a baby and she was in my lap and both of us are sitting and talking and I was telling her I said you know the one idea I've always had to do a book is you know uh, a, a travel through India because everybody thinks of India they have such a preconceived notion about what Indian food is that I want to show the true beauty and the vastness of Indian food, which I experienced when I used to take trains in India as a kid, right? The trains Mm -hmm. in India, unlike the trains here, you stop, uh, you know, uh, the train uh, stops at each and every small station, the windows and doors are open, it's not air conditioned. Um, On each and every train stop, the local vendors hop on the train to sell the food uh, or dishes which are popular to that area. so it was it to me i would look forward to all of these train stops based on what was being sold over there So it was incredible. Um, So uh, I I was telling her and she's like, great, let's go to India. So the first time we went to India was in 2012, January. Um, Shagun, my daughter was six months old in the baby brawn. We both flew to India, spent six, seven days, just getting all of this beautiful information. And then somehow that never, you know, when they say that everything has a right time and a right place, and that wasn't the right time and the right place for chat. Um, I think, um, you know, our incredible editor, uh, Raquel, um, at Clarkson Potter, she, when we, when you we were talking to her about it, she was like, oh my God, this is such a great idea. And she understood it and got it and just guided us so beautifully along, you know, in the way of how to present the book and how to go about it, that, um, that it was incredible. So last year in... April two thousand nineteen, um, Jodi, our photographer Linda Zhao and I, we went to India to take photographs for the book. So, a lot of lot of the photographs that you see in the book are uh, taken in India. That's why there is so much of movement and it's so organic and so like so beautiful. Yeah,
1: and I mean it's yeah the book is. I, I really am. I love it. I love your stories in the book. The, I'm inspired to cook these recipes. Everything sounds so wonderful. Um, so let me ask you my question from my guest on episode last my last show on episode 270. I had on Julia Bainbridge. She's a writer and the creator of the Lonely Hour podcast and the author of a book that just came out too called Good Drinks: Alcohol-Free Recipes for When You're Not Drinking for Whatever Reason. So she wants to know, how has promoting a book during this time been going for you since we, she said, we can't do uh, tours or the traditional way of in-person events? And the second part of her question was, what is the process like? What was the process like co-writing a book? And uh, who did what parts? And would you co-write again?
2: uh okay so promotion promotion okay so the first thing is uh it's you know it is so different I remember the first book when my first book came out we literally got a tour bus and we did 10,000 miles in 30 days it was intense we did three events a day we were like at it right and um and it was interesting because I got to meet a lot of people um the book promotion in these times has been very very different and so limited the fact that we are not meeting people most of these events are online like i literally i i miss the i miss the human interaction of it a lot um but that being said um it's also very interesting because people are at home book uh, sales and cooking uh, has been something which has been in the forefront so a lot more um visible interactions are happening like right on social media um i am uh, like people make something from the book then they post it and then i get to see it and then i interact with them and then some of them who are doing a lot of those we do instagram live etc so in a way um, it has reduced the gap uh, between you know me and the people that i'm interacting with which is uh, fantastic um and in a way it has widened the gap because i can't physically meet people um, so that's the first part of the question. The second is how was it co-writing? I mean, I absolutely love uh, loved co-writing with Jody. Jody is has got such an incredible way of taking stories and putting a, an amazing twist on it. So w- basically, how all of these literally started was with us deciding north, south, east, west. What are the what are the cities in each region that we are going to tackle? And again. Um, The recipes that you see over here, um, I am, this is one fourth of all the recipes that we collected, right? So Mm -hmm. there was a lot of editing, which went into it. And basically, I would come up with recipes, I would come up with stories that I remember from from growing up. Uh, there were a lot of voice memos that I would, because I'm a much better speaker than a writer, or let's say I do not have the patience for it. So I would just do these voice memos and send it across to Jodi. I'm like, okay, so let's talk about Amritsar. And this is the story that I have of Amritsar. And then I would send it to her along with all of the recipes. And then Jodi on her part, would cook all those recipes, because over here, I would be, um, you know, cooking, but I I had my like, you know, when I'm cooking, I'm like, okay, a pinch of salt. And then I I had uh, my team members who would be like, no, 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 chef, put it in this in this bowl, we'll, we'll measure it and then we'll write it down. So it was, it was interesting. Um, so it was a lot of fun. We did, a, I mean, it was, uh, the collaboration was incredible. And the most amazing part is that Jodi and I, we've known each other for long for so long that we've got a great respect and uh, chemistry with each other, which kind of shows, um, So that was what we did, uh, you know, what our parts were like, even when we were doing the photo shoot, I was doing all the cooking for the photo shoot and the prop designing and stuff because we did it at our restaurant, Chattable, which is so vibrant and gorgeous. Um, and then uh, finally, will I do it again? Uh, absolutely, absolutely, I would do it again because Jodi and I always laugh that having, a, you know, writing a book together is like having a child, right? It'll always be out on in the world, and it'll always be ours, right? So, so I would love to uh, to write another book with her or with anybody because it's uh, it's the collaboration which makes it so special and so strong.
1: Yes, I mean that's it's beautiful, and and Jody is amazing, and I love that you guys traveled together and 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 got this book out. Um, even though you know it was long in the making, but it was so it was so worth um, the time, <laughs> and and it's it's really it's really a gorgeous book, and I'm so inspired also to go to India, which I haven't been to, and I want. I mean, if you're going on another tour when Come we're allowed us. to travel again. Yes, bring me up.
2: <laughs> Come with <laughs> us you've got to it's it's amazing every time I take people to India who've never been there uh, in all uh, in all honesty uh, it's a very selfish reason for me because I get to see India through their eyes which is incredible because I I mean I grew up over there so in a way I do get um, jaded. Right. Like, yeah, I've been there, seen that. Oh, yeah, there's an elephant walking on the road. But then when you go with some, you know, when it's right. exciting for somebody, you're like, yeah, OK, yeah, this is exciting. This is incredible. This is not something that we see back, you know, uh, back home over here. So it's 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 fun.
1: Yes. Well, um, I'm I'm in. I'm all in. So. On that note, let's take a little break and we will come back and we will play my speed round game. We'll talk some industry news. I have my solo dining experience and the final question. So stay with us. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. Every time your customers eat and drink, they vote for the world they want to live in. And as the world's largest B Corp, to know North America helps people vote for a better world with all kinds of better dairy, coffee, and plant-based products sourced and produced transparently. Deneau North America has the brands people know and love, like International Delight, Oikos, Silk, So Delicious Dairy Free, Horizon Organic, and Stoke Cold Brew Coffee. But Deneau North America represents more than just in-demand brands and better-for-your-business products. They bring their B Corp certification to life, in ways that protect the environment and communities by utilizing 100% renewable electricity sources to produce their products at their manufacturing facilities, committing $6 million to programs that restore the soil's ability to capture and sequester carbon, helping to restore more than 7.8 billion gallons to freshwater ecosystems through their water partnerships over the past decade, and committing to 100% Reusable, Recyclable, and Compostable Packaging by 2025. Learn how you can choose better at DenoneAwayFromHome.com. Welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer, and my guest is Manit Chahan. She is the president and partner of Morph Hospitality Group, which includes Chahan House. Masala House, sorry, Jahan Ale, and Masala House, Tansu, or is it Tanso, I think you said Tan so. before, yeah. Tan so. Uh Chattable, The Mockingbird in Nashville, and she's a judge on Food Network's Chopped, and she has a new book out, Chat, so we've been chatting about it, so uh, it's time for my speed round game, so many. what this is, is I'm going to name a couple things, and you got to pick your preference, such as chocolate or vanilla. Okay. <laughs> I have a feeling you're just gonna you're gonna be awesome at this game.
2: <laughs> no pressure, Manith. No pressure.
1: No pressure. Well, you know, and on that note, no pressure from your parents either. Like be the just be the best. Just be the best. That's it. Just be the best. Yes, mommy. <laughs> so um here we go.
2: Eat in or eat out. Oh, that's a tough one. Um Eat out.
1: Wine, beer, cocktail, non-alcoholic beverage, or champagne? Wine. Wine. Tasting menu or a la carte? A la carte. Small plates or large plates? Small plates. Communal table or chef's counter? Chef's counter. Tipping or all-inclusive charge? Tipping. Instagram live? Or Zoom? Zoom. Ooh. Because I've been seeing you so much in Instagram Live, I thought you were going to go with
2: that. (laughs) Yeah, I'll tell you why. Because Zoom, there are a lot more people who can participate. In Instagram Live, you only get one more person to participate. Zoom, you can have a lot more people who can get involved in the, the discussion. And, and, yeah. and that's why I like it uh, more. I mean, I love Instagram Live, but yeah, if it's a choice, I would probably go with, uh, yeah, Zoom.
1: Makes sense. Okay, I have three more. Judging, cooking, or cooking? Oh, wow. Um, judging. Oh, didn't know where you were going to go with that one either.
2: <laughs> uh, cheese plate or dessert? Cheese plate and dessert. Fabulous. Two separate courses. Can't <laughs> skip either. <laughs> Manhattan,
1: Brooklyn, or Nashville. Nashville. Yay, Nashville. Yay. Awesome. See, I knew you. I knew you'd just rock that game, and so fun hearing your answers. So, uh, for industry news, I picked out an article on Eater called Ghost Kitchens Are the Wave of the Future, But Is That a Good Thing? Delivery-only restaurants, which have pro- proliferately, proliferated during the pandemic, could change the way the industry does business for years to come. And this is by Kristen Holly. So um, this is about, obviously, ghost kitchens, which people don't know what they are. They're like virtual kitchens, like co-working spaces of kind of... Uh, on the rise especially during this pandemic period and um, yeah so what I don't know Manit what are you seeing with are you what's your take on ghost kitchens
2: and and is it something you would do in the future I mean I have absolutely no problem doing ghost kitchens I do think that there is a, a is there is a certain level of smartness in it. And given the fact that, given the times that we are in, I think it was a great uh, idea and a reaction to the environment that we in our industry found ourselves in. Um, That being said, I do think that the ghost kitchens will find a place in this industry, but I think it will find a place in the industry similar to, you know, how, Fast casual, fast food, fine dining. It'll be a category in itself. I do not think that it's going to replace anything because, in the end of the day, um, if all of us are craving to be in restaurants, it's actually so interesting to see the numbers that we are doing at our restaurants right now because restaurants are beyond food, right? Restaurants are a place that we meet as a community. We connect with people. And it is about food and drinks. It's about everything that makes us feel good, which is food, drinks, company, good service, people making you feel special. And I don't think that the basic human need for that will ever change. So um, I, I do think that ghost kitchens serve a purpose. They will be a category in itself uh you know given given the times but i don't think that it's ever going to replace the experience that uh, you know that dining out is all about
1: yeah i i agree i mean i that's what i was i was thinking about it and i was thinking like takeout delivery it's great to have that as options but i don't think that could ever replace indoor dining or the experience you get from going to a restaurant and being surrounded by people. I mean, I find that I've talked about that a little bit, just even with solo dining, when I, you know, eating alone in my apartment is way different than eating alone in a restaurant because in a restaurant, I don't really feel I'm alone. (laughs) I'm not alone.
2: (laughs) True. And it's also, you know, there is that charm of when you go out, you get dressed, you, you know... (laughs) you feel good about yourself, right? And at times like, at times when you're eating at home in your pajamas, you're eating because you're eating, not for the entire experience. So that to me is, you know, that to me makes me believe that, that people would want to go out and eat.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I mean, this article said from their market research firm, predicted that it could be a one trillion dollar business by 2030 so I do think you know ghost kitchens we are gonna we are gonna be seeing more of it but as you said I don't think it will replace uh what it's like to actually dine in a restaurant
2: yeah I don't think it'll ever replace that experience yeah so. but all the people who were smart enough and and jumped on that uh, on that bandwagon good move
1: Good yeah. move. Yeah. Yeah, totally, totally agree. So let me share my solo dining experience this week. Uh that I went to a place called Tradicion. Here's the rundown. The location, 790 Ninth Avenue, Hell's Kitchen, New York City. The concept, Filipino comfort food. The owner who's a partner is Joey Chanco. The chefs are Anton Derit and Bianca Vicente. And they both worked at John George restaurants, I saw in their bios. So why did I go? Well, this was a new place near my apartment. And I had, you know, Filipino food is not something I I have that much in New York. And it sounded like a delicious option for me. So I decided to go check it out. My experience. So this is last Saturday. It's a beautiful day in New York City. The city was buzzing because of the election results. I mean, it was, I mean, I've never, I mean, the city was just, it was like the happiest place. Everyone was just out and about. Cars were honking. Like it was just, everyone's dancing in the streets. So I wanted to be out. And I, I I found this, you know, this place was open. I went for an early dinner. Uh, they had an outdoor setup. that's uh, on Ninth Avenue in House Kitchen, kind of like in the middle of the street with all these outdoor dining, how it's been set up. But um, there was a table opening up. And so I waited for it. Uh, When I sat down, they gave me a menu and instructed me to actually order inside and they'd bring the food out for me. So that's what I did. And the food came out about 10 minutes later. So what did I get? I got their pork adobo, which is pork belly braised in soy vinegar adobo sauce with bay leaf, Black pepper, eggs, scallions, and crispy garlic, and I and, it, and then I also got white rice with it, and then I also got their vi- vegetable spring rolls, which had a vinegar dipping sauce, and I had a club soda. So my take: it was delicious. The pork was very savory, super with the the sauce and soaking that up in the rice, and I really I really enjoyed it. The spring rolls were really nice too, a nice compliment. It was it was a good meal altogether. Uh, the ambiance. so I was in this like boxy sort of wood deck that they built on the street, had a couple tables, and there was a plastic divider between me and the other table. Um, it's a small restaurant, so they had one table set up inside. so I think ideally it's best to you know having being outside um, it was more appealing to me, well, for the reasons I said before too, because New York was just on fire. but um yeah, it was it's it, it was a good setup. I'd say it's perfect for dining solo or with friends. Interesting tidbit, the restaurant's timing initially was unfortunate. They opened in March and the pandemic hit and they had to close down and then they started doing takeout delivery. And now they're back open with some outdoor seating and indoor, very, very small indoor setting, but um, also takeout delivery, as I said. And the name means um, traditions in Filipino. So personal fun fact, uh, when I was there, I met the uh, the partner, Joey, and uh, we talked a little bit. And small world coincidence, I mentioned I had gone to a restaurant down on the Lower East Side called Wild Air. They did a pop-up a couple weeks ago with Tom... Cunanan, who's a chef from formerly of Bad Saint in D.C., which is a Filipino restaurant. And I had a great meal there. And he, this Joey, and his chef were actually there, too. So it's pretty cool. So the cost of this meal was $21. That's not including tax and gratuity. Would I go back? Yes. Uh, their website is TradicionNYC.com. That's T-R-A-D-I-S-Y-O-N-N-Y-C.com. So there you go. Filipino food. <laughs>
2: Wow. My mouth is watering just here. I'm like, I should have eaten something before I hopped on this call. It sounds wow. so good. It
1: it was, but, and I I appreciate you taking this back to back your busy schedule. I mean, before we do the final question, let's talk a little bit about where you were before the show. Cause you were, you're taping, taping chopped. Yes. Um, Which I mean, what's your schedule been like with that and how has it changed since since the pandemic?
2: Well, uh, it's been uh, the schedule has been pretty much the same, but they are the protocols have been uh, changed a lot in terms of like, um, you know, just I ran off the sets. And before I was like, I'm I'm putting on my computer and, you know, powering it on and stuff. And there is somebody who is, you know, right behind me with a swab trying to take the COVID test, which is incredible because you feel so safe on the sets. Everybody, every second day, uh, you know, they have to take a COVID. We have to take a COVID test. And, you know, all the protocols are being followed um the one thing which i miss most or which is very different about the set is that i can't see everybody's face which i miss because everybody has masks and then they have you know shields or glasses on um but uh you know as they say the show must go on it is you know the day starts uh, Fairly early, uh, around at you know six 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 thirty, we start our hair and makeup, and then we start shooting. And around this time, we wrap up. Wow! And and where are you shooting? Are you in New York, uh, or you can't say you can't say secret location? See, yeah. okay, yes, yeah, but not in New York. <laughs> there, yeah, I don't, That's... I don't know how much trouble I would
1: get into for saying that. So, I, yes. I, I, yeah. I do not want to get you in trouble. You're in a secret location shooting, which is, that's even cooler.
2: <laughs> <laughs> in um, a basement. I'm just kidding.
1: Yeah. But I, and I don't, I I didn't, I should have looked this up for the show, but isn't Chopped, it's like the number one show on the Food Network, or it was. Is that
2: correct? Hey, it's the number one show in this entire world, according to me.
1: So okay. I think
2: I think that's all that makes a difference. <laughs> yeah, if
1: you well, believe. I, yeah, no, I know, I know. It's, it's 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 such a great show. I mean, you and 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 all the, the I mean, your your judge uh, colleagues who I know many of them are all amazing and Ted Allen, just the whole competition. I mean, it's a wonderful show. So, um, kudos to you for for being being a part of it, a major part of it.
2: Thank you. I feel I look- very fortunate.
1: Yeah, well, and I, I'll say one other thing. I did see your TEDx talk on, um, on my PR tip, uh, nothing ventured, nothing gained. And I was so impressed that, you know, that I think, giving talks in front of groups like that on stage without any notes is...
2: (laughs) It was. I think it was one of the... I'll tell you a funny thing. Like, to me, it's very easy for me to have this conversation uh, because it's impromptu. But when I have to learn a script and to recite it, that becomes very difficult. And that's what I had to do. So I literally was, you know, I wrote the entire thing down and then I read it to myself on my phone. And then every time I would drive i would keep on listening to it on my car and then repeating it so it was really it it, it was it was fairly intense till the time i started talking and i am like you know all prim and proper which i am not so within the first two minutes of starting to talk, I'm like, okay, I'm just going to kick off these heels and get comfortable and just have a talk with you guys. And uh, and that's, that's what it was. So it was, it was really, um, it was really interesting. It comes very, it comes to a close second to um, me f- somehow ending up doing a Hallmark movie last year. And I had to remember the dialogues for that, which <laughs> was even more interesting. But yeah, that's,
1: yeah, well, that's how things are. It was amazing and you kicking off your shoes was was perfect. So <laughs> Okay, so let's do the final question. So my next guest is Clay Williams. He's a Brooklyn based photographer who specializes in food, drinks, and events. And he is the co founder of Black Food Folks, a fellowship of black professionals in food and drink. So many, what would you like to ask Clay?
2: Um I would like to ask Clay how much uh, does um does food um you know capturing the essence of food and showing it to the world shows uh, the soul of the person behind who's making it
1: Oh wow it's deep <laughs> yes,
2: because, you know, to me, whenever I see photographs, there are some photographs of food which are beautiful and they don't speak, they don't speak to me because it seems it comes ac- across very um, clinical, right? And then there are some, uh, you know, f- uh, food photographs that you see which are, which are messy and not clean, but they stay with me forever because the soul of the person who's cooked the the food has been captured in that one dish. So uh, yeah, that's that's something that I've always wanted to ask, um, you know, somebody who captures photographs. Oh,
1: fabulous. I will ask him and I appreciate the question. I appreciate you. You you are fabulous and I'm so glad we got to connect today and I, I wish you much continued success in everything you do and can't wait to see you in person.
2: Uh, same here, same here. Thank you so much.
1: Thanks, Manit. My guest today has been Manit Chahan, the president and partner of Morph Hospitality Group, which includes Chahan, Ale, and Masala House, Tanso, Chadabalh, and The Mockingbird in Nashville. She's a judge on Food Network's Chopped. She has a new book out. Y'all got to get it. It's called Chat, and um, you can find it online anywhere. You can buy books. You can find out more about her restaurants at morehospitality.com and follow her on Instagram and other social media platforms at Manit Chahan. You can follow me at Sherry Bayer at Bayer PR and at all industry. My Facebook page is all in the industry. My websites, bayerpublicrelations.com, sherrybayer.com, Bayer, and allintheindustry.com. All of our shows are archived at heritageradio network.org. We are also on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify. Thanks to my engineer today, Amanda Wang. Thanks again to Monique. And thanks to Jody Eddie, too. Uh, she was possibly going to join us today, but she couldn't. But um I'm glad I had her on the show in the past and congratulations on both of you on your book. I'm Sherry Bayer. I'll be back next week with another show. Till then, be safe, be well, and thank you for being part of All in the Industry. Bye.